0: Hello! This is Pixelated Playgrounds, a monthly gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha.
1: I'm Josh Kolecki And I'm Clint Jones.
0: And this month we're talking about The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, released in 2017 for the Nintendo Switch, my guess is you've heard of this one, unless you've been <laughs> living under a rock.
2: Very true. It's a very famous game for the Switch. A lot of people have played it. Made a lot of the best of lists last year.
0: Two years ago now, Josh. Man, Time moves fast. <laughs> we're getting old. We're getting old. Yeah, so, I mean, if we're looking at why we decided this one should come onto the book club list, uh, we've talked all talked about how we own a Switch. You know, we liked playing it, having all played this or in the process of playing it one point or the other. We said, why not do a quick book club and play this game that, you know, everyone has a lot of thoughts on.
2: And it's an interesting game, too. There's a lot to talk about here. It's a departure from the series and what it's done before. Yeah. So who made this game? Nintendo. You might have heard of them before.
0: (laughs) If you've heard of video games, you've heard of Nintendo, and yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's such a venerable series, you know, dozens of entries over the course of 30 years plus.
2: Man, Um, dozens now? Now I'm feeling really old. I would say so.
0: Yeah, but this one is definitely uh, an outlier and a new direction for the series.
1: Yeah. For better or worse, we'll see. I
0: was gonna say there's things that people like about that, and things that uh, made them, you know, be taken aback a little bit. Changes that they made, but I think the big thing that Nintendo wanted to do with this is sort of break out some of the things that become rote uh, or predictable about the series, and things that people maybe didn't like, you know, over tutorialization, uh, linear paths, you know, sort of lock and key systems for dungeon items. I think they, they succeeded generally in shaking off the the chains of their, their past while holding dear some things that really valuable.
2: And I'll tell you what, I started playing this game when we were going through Skyrim as well for our podcast a few months back, and I think it's interesting to compare these two games to each other. I'm looking forward to doing that with you two.
0: Yeah, I think we've both played all those games quite a bit. So at the beginning of this game, you wake up uh, as Link, basically 100 years after a great cataclysm has been perpetrated by the, the series' main antagonist, Ganon, and it resulted in the destruction of the, the land of Hyrule, uh, the capture of Zelda, and the death of all her champions, including Link. So you are resurrected, and you must regain your power to defeat Ganon, and the game pretty much just kicks you out the front door with that as your, your main thing to do. Yeah
2: something nice and simple, you know, defeat the age-old apocalypse that has been haunting our lands and cook some meals on the way.
1: Huh, it sounds like Dark Souls or Hollow Knight (laughs) or every other game we've been playing for the last three
2: years. (laughs) I guess the Souls-like genre has been more popular these days, but... You guys have gone through more Souls than I have. Did you guys see a lot of strong similarities between the two in terms of theme and environment?
1: Yeah, so actually, well, this is by far one of the more difficult Zelda games, too. Not that that's a bad thing, but they definitely leaned in on the difficulty part. They certainly took advantage of the uh, storyline. But the, the interesting difference would be that this is a very light and bright and beautiful game where a lot of those games deal with the dark and dismal side of things so i don't know it it took a little bit of it but it still had its own flavor
2: so quick poll in terms of difficulty do you guys think this was more or less difficult than the average zelda game
1: oh definitely more more you can get one shot killed in this game a lot
2: there was no water temple so for me that makes (laughs) it a lot easier than some of the other ones.
0: Yeah, but to be perfectly honest, every time they used cryosis in a dungeon, I just kind of completely forgotten that that power existed, so it was basically <laughs> like a water temple for me. There you go. Um, but yeah, I I agree with you Clint that this is it has some of those like um, you know, post-apocalyptic vibes, although I would call this a post-post-apocalypse, which we'll get into later because this world is just beautiful. Like it is on the way to recovery. Um <laughs> after the the Blight of Calamity Ganon, and, you know, the world's relatively peaceful when you come into it.
2: It is, it is. You. Um, this is something we'll get into later, but the apocalypse, not only has it happened, it happened a hundred years ago, so people are kind of recovering from it at the time. But the world definitely deserves some talking about right here. There is a whole lot of exploration that goes on in this world, and that is probably... For me, one of the key points about the world was the amount of exploration you got to do and the nature of that exploration.
0: Yeah, and I know uh, this—the the huge and relatively open and some would say empty world—is is sort of the main character of this game, in my opinion. And and I know a lot of people love that, but you know, Clint, I know you have a, a penchant for harping on big, open, empty things. Yeah.
1: I do, and actually, if you didn't make the point about it being the main character, I certainly was going to. It is the most important thing in this game. Um, Yeah, character development really doesn't seem to matter anywhere else in the game, not even with your main character. Uh, But yeah, man, I wish they would have taken, they have this big, beautiful world that they could have done so much more with. I wish they'd just focused in a little bit more, because while there's a lot out there, I didn't feel like there was a
0: lot going on in it.
2: I have some thoughts on this later.
0: I do, too. I feel like while this game can feel empty at times, especially in like the wide open vistas and spaces that you see when you're at the top of, you know, any given mountain, but the joy you feel when you do discover something special in that is all the more heightened to me because of it. So, you know, I I fully expect that we're going to have a back and forth on like the merits and cons of this system. I'm glad actually we have your perspective on this, Clint, because, you know, we often agree too much on this game stuff. <laughs> Yeah,
2: <laughs> Clint, the contrarian.
0: Oh boy. I think
1: as a playground, like where you can do anything you want, this succeeded a hundred times over. Um, and even like the special little things that you didn't even know you could do. Yeah. That part was awesome. Like, again, you can write a shield who knew, uh, you would find that <laughs> out after playing 120 hours and you never knew you could do that. You could sled down a hill on a shield, but it's, it missed so much on the game side of things. For me
2: well let's stick with the mechanics for now you're in an open world and this is one of the more open worlds i've seen um with the exception of maybe some of the elder scrolls games there are very few limits on where you can go and what you can do you're climbing around you're gliding around you're shield surfing you have different movement abilities and they're not like a metroidvania like hollow knight where you get your hookshot, or you get your double jump the hookshot you would have gotten in the last few games um you are just kind of exploring at kind of um a more naturally limited sort of thing with your stamina meter that tells how high you can climb before you fall down
0: uh, or, glide. There,
2: or glide down yeah
0: yeah with the exception of the first you know foray into the the Great Plateau, which is where you start the game, which we'll get to in a minute.
2: That was a bit more of a tutorial level, so you yeah, give him the pass exactly. on that.
0: And and I think it was a really good one and, and we'll talk about that. But you're right, like right from the get you can go pretty much anywhere in this game and I think that contributes to the difficulty like you were saying, Clint, because if you go to the wrong place, this game will fuck you up. Like Lionels are out there, they will totally mess yeah. your shit up. The yes. badass <laughs> and- <laughs> monsters
2: that just run you down. I tell you, those were the last monster that I tried to beat. Like, after I was taking down Guardians left and right, I was like, okay, now it's time for the Lionels. (laughs)
0: That's right. Yeah, I mean, seriously, like a Lionel fight in this game is decades harder than the actual end boss Ganon, so I don't know what they're doing working for that guy, but (laughs) they gotta go out and form Lionel Inc. or whatever and just take over Hyrule. Um, Let's talk about combat a bit, because we seem to be talking a little bit about these Lionel guys, which um, Will you know, ruin your day if you give them a chance. But uh, the main reason for that is because, well, they're real tough, they take a lot of hits, and your weapons have durability in this game. So you are not gonna be able to just swing away with that Master Sword. You are going to have to cycle through a armory worth of weaponry to get that guy down to zero HP.
1: What'd you guys think of that system, by the way? Because this actually was one of my biggest killers for the game, I think.
2: I thought it worked okay. It made me use different weapons instead of just settling into a favorite. Uh, now, granted there were some very tense times. I think um, during one of the bosses inside the, must have been the Desert Beast, I was down to like swinging a boat oar at the sky <laughs> in order to win because all my rest of the weapons have broken. But definitely added some tension. A little bit of resource management and it varied up your style because you have weapons you don't like but you have to use them because they're the only thing you have
0: I think I'm decidedly mixed on the weapon durability system in one hand, I like it because it forces you out of your comfort zone like just said using things I just wish I didn't have to go into my inventory so much because even though they have like a hotkey system for changing weapons like, it just I wish it would just like pop the next one in your, your order or something like that rather than making you do that. It's just ease of use type thing. Another thing I would say is in the negative column is that I kind of like building a bond with a weapon, understanding like the moveset, learning, mastering it, and this didn't really let me do that. Maybe that's like my my inner Dark Souls nerd, but I kind of like really mastering a given moveset and system and bending it to my exact needs. And this game forced me out of my comfort zone, like I said, but it didn't let me do that.
1: Yeah, there are definitely better ways to do that. I think God of War does that a lot better. So you have multiple weapon sets, and they incentivize you to use all of them and mix them together by giving you even better combos if you if you mix. So, so you can use this one, you can use that one, but it's even better if you do both. That's a way better way to incentivize than, oh, sorry, this is going to break in 10 hits. Are you kidding me? An iron sword just <laughs> gone in 10 hits? Who
0: built this crap? Like... Yeah, well, they must have lost the uh, technology for making weapons not shit in the apocalypse. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, that's why Ganon know.
1: That's why Ganon didn't get defeated. Their their weapons were pure shit. Now,
2: Clint, uh, can we can you expand on that a little bit? You said that God of War rewards you for mixing up the weapon systems. To me, this is kind of the primary purpose: both mixing up the weapon systems and adding some tension into the combat uh those were the two primary things i saw from a game design perspective of why they did the weapon durability how did god of war handle it that was encouraging you to mix it up and use weapons you wouldn't normally use
1: cool yeah so there are enemies uh so you've got one they really simplified it in the new one it was much more intricate in the, in the previous ones but in the recent one you have an axe that is very much ice based and you have your blades spoiler that are very much uh, (laughs) fire-based. And then you would get into these fights where you would have to... They would make you mix and match because you'd be stuck with enemies that some would have the um, reaction to one, but not the other. Or they'd have enemies that switch back and forth. Again, that last boss fight. Uh, Yeah, they, they would force you to... I mean, you could take the hard route or you could switch back and forth and mix the two. And and that's what made the combat the best.
0: An important thing about that to me and what rewarded you is that they also coupled utilizing those items with getting new skills with them and sort of building your repertoire with a given weapon as you used it. In this game, like we said, with so many things with this game, you get pretty much your whole toolbox right out the gate. There's like three or four different types of items in Breath of the Wild. You know, your two handers, your one hander your boomerang and your bows but like there's not just there's not a ton of moveset variety here and it's not progressive over the course of the game like you get a few special items later on that have like maybe elements incorporated but um, it's not enough for me to make it as fully fleshed out but there's other things in this game that flesh out that combat system than just the weapons so we can get to that too like weapons and we've talked way more than we should have about just the weapons because that is maybe 10% of the combat in this game
1: yeah, that trickle effect is important for me in a lot of games, like that small bit of progress as you continue. But yeah, you, we like you said, we got it all up front here, and that's probably why I lost some of my uh, some of my interest in it over
0: time. That's fair. I think the the thing this game is trying to make you do is use things other than just a sword or even just your bow to accomplish a fight like you can do it with magnesis you can like be throwing boulders at guys or locking them in stasis or using stasis to launch items into enemies like there are just far more options for combat than just those weapons and us being like here's a hammer or here's a nail i'm going to use my hammer mindset are Mm -hmm. are sometimes too focused on that sometimes you got to use uh, your jackhammer instead of your hammer on that nail. I don't know. I'm, I'm bad at tools. <laughs> you do not use jackhammers on nails.
2: <laughs> Something I will fault the game for, game design-wise, is that with one notable exception, like I had to do anything than my run in there and beat the hell out of people as I'm going on. I never had to use Magnesis or Stasis or these other options that the game included, but did not require
0: you didn't need to but they were cooler when you did they were they were encouraging you to by making it so damn cool and fun
2: yeah yeah i mean they could but they could highlight that that's an option a little better
0: i agree for sure this that's like it was always going to be the easiest solution to just run up to a guy and smack him with a powerful sword the simplest
2: at least yeah if you don't know something's an option then it might as well not be one
0: yeah, the game encourages lateral thinking, but maybe not enough. I think in terms of combat, it's fair for us to leave it at that.
1: Yeah.
2: All right, but there are there were other systems in this game besides combat. Uh, but another thing that kind of reminded me a lot of Skyrim because with Skyrim, I was always like the alchemist, going gathering all the plants, all the little herbs and mushrooms, and pieces of dead enemies, what have you. Uh, this game had a cooking system that was very similar. Uh, gathering ingredients from exotic locales and combining them together. What'd you guys think of that?
0: Well, I pretty much ran Link's grocery store out of my inventory by the end of this game. (laughs) I, uh, I picked up everything. I hoovered up pretty much half of Hyrule's flora and fauna over the course of my adventures, and as a result... I pretty much never had problems. I think Link's real superpower, in this is just his bottomless fucking inventory because he <laughs> his just bottomless go stomach,
2: thing. which they do reference in the game.
0: <laughs> he can eat all
1: day, and he does. It's the only way to survive. And that you talked about being in the inventory too much. That was the only way to heal, and the only way to heal was to go into the inventory and eat twelve steaks.
0: Amen, yeah, man, brother.
2: I felt maybe the most overpowered thing were the items that gave you extra hearts because you cook like one hearty radish and all of a sudden you get all your hearts back plus like one temporary heart (laughs) if they changed this game so you just got an additional temporary heart on top of whatever it healed you it would have been very different for me but i agree i was never running low on hearts
0: yep hearty hearty durian plus apple equals break the game pretty much
2: you don't even need the apple the apple doesn't do anything it adds to the <laughs> a matter of hearts to get back which is already all of them
1: so yeah it's it's wild the next switch game is going to be uh zelda Link's hyrule hot dog eating contest <laughs>
2: <laughs> going up against what is it joey um what's the guy's name
0: joey chestnut <laughs> <laughs> <Soybeaters>. <laughs> Six foot, one inch, 230 pounds, 35-year-old eating champion. Jeez, you got his stats up? (laughs) Just Wikipedia.
2: (laughs) What's his agility ability? (laughs) Zero.
1: That dude's not moving. All
2: right, coming back into it. Another departure from this game, from its predecessors, was that I think in every other Zelda game I've played, you have pieces of heart that you can get as a completion for a quest or doing something, this or that. In this game, you had spirit orbs instead. And these spirit orbs you would get by going through a shrine, which was a series, a very short series of puzzles. Or sometimes if you had to solve a puzzle to get to it, they just give you the spirit orb when you got to it. Um, yeah. How would you guys feel about this shift in how they delivered the power-ups to you?
1: This is the one that made me the most sad, out of of everything, and only because one reason. My most magical moments from from Zelda, the other games, were, you know, you go into the forest temple or you go into the water temple, and that was so cool, and in this game, you just get, like, instead of seven really cool dungeons, you get 130 stupid five-minute puzzles, and I get why they did it. It actually fits the Switch really well. It was a really smart use of what the Switch is. It's very portable.
2: I never thought about the adjustment to the, call it the travel capacity of the shift, of the switch, of the kind of like, you grab and go and you play for 10 minutes and then you're done. But that makes sense.
1: It's perfect for that. Like, that was probably one of their smartest design choices, but it was at the cost of the thing I loved the most about Zelda
0: yeah there's not like i mean and the divine beasts are a pale imitation of like some of the more majestic dungeons in the zelda series but they are there at least but i agree with you it's one of the, the big things that i think cut this game back it, it definitely hurts also that they're all the same tile set like hmm. they're not visually distinct in any way really and there's 150 of them
1: same yeah. like music too
0: yeah, Yeah, like,
1: and, and it's boring, like, it's just boring.
0: Th- I could have gotten by with a quarter of them and just used the top quarter of them, you know?
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. it would have been cool in addition to the dungeons, for sure, that would have been amazing. But that instead of, nah, not for me. Mm-hmm.
2: So you guys did not like the Divine Beasts as dungeons, because that's kind of how I kind of read No, it. No, no,
0: dis- disagree. I, I thought they were fine as dungeons, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit more about them later but i think i didn't like them as much as some i've liked some of the more inventive traditional zelda dungeons same
2: you guys miss the water temple masochism don't you
0: i miss the forest temple which i thought was fair
1: all right so just to be fair me and brian were hanging out the other day and brian said Forest Temple music, and we both started humming it. That was from when we were 12. We can still remember it. Yeah. Yeah, we all remember it because we loved it so much. If you ask me what the music was from the dungeon I played on Zelda, you know, 20 minutes ago, I'd be like, I don't know. I don't remember. It wasn't.
2: Yeah. I'd, maybe skipping ahead a little bit, but what did you guys think about the Lost Woods? Because I kind of like that as a location.
0: Yeah, I think this game did justice to the Lost Woods as a concept. Like, it's, it tracks pretty well, and it was brought into the, the 21st century pretty well from its its origins in this game. I don't think they did anything new with it, but I thought it was well done.
2: Hang on, what was a dungeon to you? It described I me hate, like the... I
0: don't want to keep geez. saying poor something. <laughs> <laughs> the abstract
2: <laughs> dungeon.
0: To me, a dungeon in Legend of Zelda is... uh, It has a sense of place, and I think that the dungeons in... Breath of the Wild didn't have that because they all basically had again the same tile set inside of them.
1: It's a it's it's a place. It's a theme. It is its own self contained thing. It is all about what that area is. It is about the forest temple. Everything is forest. Everything is about the earth and like and then you're in the heart of a volcano and it's all about the fact that there's this fire breathing dragon there and like everything is fire.
0: Like, so everything about the dungeons in breath of the wild were a bit too homogeneous for me they all had the same tile set they all had basically the same mechanic where you move a part of the dungeon around to access new areas and they all had a boss that like looked so teflon that i cannot honestly tell you which one had the scythe which one had the spear and which one had the axe i hated <laughs> the <laughs> bosses the
2: bosses in yeah. this you know everywhere the... in this game the bosses were not good
0: What I expect in a Zelda dungeon that we did not get delivered in this game is a sense of place and a unique tile set, a sense of theme, a sense of foreboding through the music, and a boss to cap it all off, maybe some like unique puzzles that are only present in that dungeon that you won't see anywhere else. And none of those were delivered by the dungeons in Breath of the Wild. And
1: something new and cool every time.
0: Every time you got something new and cool that you get to take on somewhere else.
2: I agree with that. And I think part of that comes from the... Decision they made that you could do the dungeons in any order, but that just means that you can never learn anything in a dungeon that is exploited to get that final boss effect. All the bosses have to be beatable at any level.
1: I don't think the trade off was worth it,
0: personally. Yeah, I get it that they had to do that, but that's... there is a way to do this game where you incorporate those elements, but you know obviously this game was made under a lot of, you know, constraints. Hardware constraints. It's cross-platform. We didn't even mention that. This thing's on the fucking Wii U. Can you believe that? I actually forgot that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Who's got one of those? Really? Really. Um, And if you think about how that the inventory in this game works imagine that on the wii u and think again about why it doesn't work quite the way you think it should that would have worked
1: Um, really well because
0: you have that stupid pad in front of you and you could have picked the inventory anytime right so there's a lot of constraints on this game that are maybe either not fully understood or sort of invisible but you know i think if we see another zelda in this system I'm, my sincere hope is that it'll incorporate a lot of the things that we say are missing. I'm saying if they make another Zelda in this engine, expand the tile sets, change the way that the sort of flow of the game works, <laughs> change, you know, add in some real like Koji Kondo ass music like we are used to hearing, um, and you know, I think they can get the best of both worlds. But this game like made some trade offs, like you said, and while I think it made a big impression on people, it wasn't the best balance for some longtime fans. Myself included, in certain areas at least.
1: I hope they take this engine and the way that all these items interact with each other and then make a Zelda game with this Zelda engine. They made a great Zelda engine. Let's see the game that they come up with it, not the demo that they threw on top of it because that's what this is.
2: spirit orbs I was neutral on them but you guys seem to have missed the dungeons that they replaced
0: yeah I don't think that I think it was nice of them to give you the option of increasing health or stamina and uh, let me be honest on non um, master mode I chose stamina like 75% of the time because mobility was king in this game for me
2: plus you got your hearty radish salads
1: yeah I think I did the opposite and I paid for it a lot like I think that was one of the other major annoyances. Like, everything is climbing a mountain. Oh, wait, I got three-fourths of the way up, and I fell. Okay.
2: Well, you know what was really useful for climbing the mountains, which I didn't get because this was my last dungeon I did, but the little Rito guy's ability, the um, fly 100 feet in the air and start hang gliding, that was a really useful ability.
0: I agree, and I think, like... (laughs) <laughs> that to me was actually the only useful ability that you got from each of the dungeons. And I guess we can talk real quick. You get, you know, very few abilities over the course of this game, half of them being the Sheikah Slate runes, which we've already talked about. Stasis, Cryosis, Magnesis, um, Magnesis, and your bombs.
2: The bombs. Of course the bombs.
0: The bombs. Uh you get those all before you even leave the Great Plateau. And then the four major dungeons each give you an additional power. One resurrects you when you die, one Uh, makes you invulnerable if you block one is an area of effect attack and the final one which josh just mentioned is a mobility thing that will catapult you up in the air and allow you to glide
2: the most useful one for sure definitely and a game that focuses on climbing as much as this one then 100 percent go to rito village first and go get that ability so much easier to get around once you have that um But here's something interesting. Um, In the previous Zelda games, you would get a new ability inside a dungeon, a hookshot, a bomb, um, a power gauntlet, whatever you got, and then you would solve puzzles with that new ability and maybe sometimes use that to defeat the boss of the dungeon. In this game, you got the ability after you already beat the dungeon, the Divine Beast, And um, it was like an extra gift once you were done. That I felt like was a bit of a step backwards in game design. Like you're not really changing up the moveset that we have. You're not really adding to my vocabulary as a player in terms of what I can do.
0: I think it's good that they, they give you so many things off the bat that are so versatile. But I agree something is lost in the gaining of tools over time. However, Zelda got pretty lazy by the end of their run in like the last few recent Zelda games with those dungeon lock and key treasures that you get in them, like the Twilight Princess disc thing that you get, or even as far back as like Ocarina of Time with the Megaton hammer, which is basically just used in the one dungeon. Like those weren't always the best designed things in themselves. And so getting rid of that BS was a good thing to me.
2: Yeah, I agree with you that the one dungeon use items weren't doing the series any favors. Um, But there were only four dungeons in this game.
0: Fair.
2: Okay, so a lot of things weren't very useful, like the resurrection ability. That. I took advantage of it a few times, you know. But you also have your fairies. It's pretty much a repeat of that power where you can yeah. resurrect when you lose all your hearts. But things like the jump 100 meters into the air or whatever, thats that could be incorporated into some different puzzles. But all of the puzzles, as far as I know, were based mm-hmm. off of the runic abilities you got off of the Sheikah Slate.
0: That's right. You couldn't even bring those powers into shrines.
1: I did like how previous Zelda games use each individual temple as almost like a tutorial like here's a new piece of hardware that you've got and we're going to spend this um temple making you use it in special ways like you said puzzles and then the boss and then like okay now take what you've learned here and take it out into the world
2: yeah i feel especially with only four dungeons it would not have been too hard to find four unique abilities that not only would be useful in the world but even had some I don't know, maybe affordances or ability, or I'm sorry, opportunities to use those out in the wider world, where you could get to places you couldn't get to before. Uh, but then again, that goes against what I was saying before about how this game had no, had uh, no unnatural walls to it. So there's that too. Maybe they could have made it easier, or maybe you got to a shrine that you couldn't get to before.
0: I think the way they designed this game, where everything was so systematized that there were multiple solutions for any given problem it would have been pretty hard for you to put things lock and key behind a new power unless you know they completely redesigned how this game's physics and uh chemistry system worked which i think we should spend a little time talking about because it's one of the things that makes this game truly unique this game had an incredibly robust physics engine that was surprisingly simple if you think about it at at a Or at a glance, uh, it's basically a you know, collision plus movement plus object state equals what's going on with a given item. Right? You have um multiple items can interact in various different ways, and they can either be in a state of you know normal, on fire, electrified, etc. 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 And it basically multiplied out the way that items could interact in this game to the nth degree.
1: Yeah, I think that's where this game really killed it. Like, as a physics sandbox, there was never a game, I think, that I've played uh, more than this one, where if you thought it, and you thought it might work, and you try it, and you're like, holy shit. They actually made that work. Like, again, riding your shield like a, like a sled down a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, char-
0: charging up a large you know, TNT barrel and launching it at your... Uh, enemies that are also surrounded by TNT barrels and exploding them all to oblivion.
1: Right. (laughs) By the way, that state of being on fire, I spent on a lot, by the way.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So maybe I was playing the game a little bit differently than you two, but I feel like I never interacted with chemistry engine to a huge degree. Not as much as I've heard other people have interacted with. I'd set enemies on fire, maybe I'd freeze them and do things like that but I never like um I heard my brother he would like uh he'd attach a frozen choo-choo jelly to an octorok balloon and then send some wind to send that into the middle of the enemy camp and then sniper it with an arrow and everyone's frozen and then go attack them getting that advantage over there. I've
0: that's a kick-ass idea that I have never heard before. Right. Uh, <laughs> you
1: got to get on YouTube and see what those people do. Like, you can also get on a block, put it or put a block in stasis, hit it twenty times, get on top of it, and fly it to the top of a mountain. Like,
0: oh yeah, that's speedrunning strategies right there, baby. I yeah. saw a
2: speed run; someone beat the game in twenty-five minutes, and I was. I thinking, saw that one too. My goodness, <laughs> the ideas they have!
0: It's really <laughs> incredible. But the game, it it really boils down to like materials elements and how you use them and i watched uh you know i linked this to you guys it was kind of long but i'm not sure if you watched it but the basic idea was they had a chemistry engine with elements and materials and elements change the states of elements like fire burns trees elements change each other's states like fire can melt ice or electricity electrifies wetness And materials can influence or cannot influence each other's states. Like, smacking a tree against a tree doesn't do anything really except break it down to a smaller tree. And that kind of governs all the game's interactions. It's so simple, but so elegant.
2: True, but I feel like they could have introduced this to the player a little better. I mean, when I'm looking back now, I see, yeah, here's the science, here's what they were trying to do. But maybe because it's part of the game's difficulty but i never felt like that was something i was compelled to do like yes i could do this really complicated rube goldberg machine to give myself a slight (laughs) edge in combat or i could just save myself a minute of setup time and just run there with a sword and wail on some guys
0: so this is i think part of the reason why we decided to take like You know, bullet this one out three months in advance and then play it because I don't think this game rewards like rushing through much of anything, including combat. Like, it it really is like a game that values intrinsic rewards. Like, the rewards you get out of this game are because you did a thing, not because it's going to reward you for doing a thing. And beating a combat in a creative way to me was kind of the reward in itself. And not everyone's going to get that out of this game, you know. Like, people don't all react to games that way they want an objective they want to accomplish it but if you play the game in such a way that like you're rewarded for the experience you get from doing a thing then uh, you know the rube goldberg machine makes sense
2: i gotcha i
0: gotcha and it clearly didn't make any fucking sense to Clint. <laughs> He's looking at me no. side-eyed.
1: <laughs> no, it, it was cool. And I think the coolest part was watching people on YouTube. I'm like, holy shit. Like, I didn't even think of that. After playing this game for 100 hours, I would have you
2: never thought of You can surf on your shield? What?
0: <laughs> Blew my mind. Yeah. So we talked a lot about, like, how you can go about doing a various multitude of things in this game. But let's talk a little bit about what you're actually supposed to be doing. Uh, You know, as we talked about at the top, you wake up on uh, the Shrine of Resurrection on the Great Plateau and you're confronted by an old, old man who turns out after a brief tutorial through some shrines where you get your runes to be the king of Hyrule. And he says, go kill Ganon.
2: Sends you off. This is a very interesting tutorial area. Kind of introduces you to the main mechanics of this, which is find the tower, see where things are, get to a high point and find where the shrines are the things you need to go to shows you how to mark them on your map and how to get to them and at the end of the whole tutorial area you get the hang glider which to me is the
0: it, it embodies the spirit of this game there you, it, go. you know it is the game that like basically will reward you for climbing that mountain because now that you're at the top of that mountain you get to hang glide off it
2: Heyo! so you can hang glide different places now you can go After this tutorial level you can go really anywhere in the game as the speedruns do you can go kill the final boss right away or you can go to explore this vast and amazing world that they have set up for you. Uh, But it functions very well as a tutorial in showing you the basic mechanics besides giving you those four stasis, I'm sorry, Sheikah Slate Ruins that let you solve all the puzzles in the game.
0: Yeah, you're right. It is sort of a microcosm of the the first thing I did in the game, at least, which was go around all the different towers, scout out all the shrines I possibly could, and to, like basically unlock the map. Which you know, the map in this game is incredible, and probably one of my favorite parts of it.
2: Mm-hmm. I thought, yeah, I thought the exploration mechanic was great. How, I mean, Assassin's Creed has done it well before, but getting up there. Unlocking part of the map, seeing what the interesting things are to go see, and then go see them.
1: Yep, that was very Ubisoft. I was going to mention that a second ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, you know, it's a good point, Clint. They they did borrow this from, from Ubisoft, the whole tower climb, unlock the map thing. Thanks, Assassin's Creed. Um, hey, you know, if it works, or, it works. Your countless of years of being influenced by Zelda have finally paid off. They've been influenced by you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but yeah, I think it's pretty neat that, you know, you can do any of the following dungeons, all those divine beasts we talked about out of order.
2: Yeah, the plot line is that there's these four weapons that were created to defeat Ganon and he shows up and he turns them to his side and you've got to go for go through and um, restore these creatures to their original function. And that's your own warfare, am I right? <laughs> there you go. There you go. But for me, you know, the, the Divine Beast made good dungeons. They weren't as memorable maybe as some of the previous Zelda games dungeons have been, but acceptable. And the whole non-linear structure of it helped out too, I think.
0: Yeah, agreed. The uh, th- They all, I guess it's worth calling out real quick what uh, areas of the the game they're all in and you know it, it'll help us sort of bullet point some of the major biomes in this world uh, you've got Varuta the water beast he's a big elephant he's in the Zora domain sort of a big basin lake area uh, the desert beast Vanaborus, in the Gerudo desert you get your Gerudos back in this game although they have much worse music than they did in Ocarina of Time Ah, uh,
2: how can you top <laughs> that though
1: And you get to wear a weird, a weird girl's outfit when you go out there too, which was probably my favorite moment in this game.
0: <laughs> That's true. It's it's. They have this weird cross-dressing sequence in this game <laughs> that is obviously old-fashioned, obviously not malicious in any way, but still kind of odd and hilarious. Um, but uh, it was followed up by a stealth section that was just awful. Which in, one are you uh, talking the, about? The, the Yiga Clan um uh, thing that you had to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that wasn't yeah, did fantastic. Love that. Yeah. Um, and then the mountain beast, Daruk, uh, Varudania, uh, champion of the Gorons up there. The Goron city is pretty cool in this game, although, once again, you're basically just getting inventory taxed by having to put on your stupid football player armor when you're in the mountain area because <laughs> it's so hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the mountain beast, Va Meadow. Uh, which is That's sky the, beast yeah yeah the sky beast um of the root or the rito which gives you that power we were raving about earlier that allows you to vault into the air and in between all of these things uh, are sort of some connective tissue of storytelling that the game's asking you to seek out in the form of memories of link interacting with the champions and zelda 100 years in the past and i think this is where you get most of your story and the game takes the really bold step of allowing it to be told completely out of order. You can encounter these in any order you want.
2: Absolutely. Uh, this. I think there are 16 memories that you can find in the game uh, outside of maybe some of the you beat the dungeon, now you get a memory unlocked" sort of thing. The way that most players will go through you actually see one of the last memories first these memories are told of the time a hundred years ago when zelda was with link and the four champions and they were like ganon's coming we got to prepare and we got to defeat him and it tells a story of how unsuccessful that all is which kind of leads into the sort of apocalyptic world and storytelling that they have and that things have been tried before and they've failed and that's the sort of undertone that goes through the whole game is that things didn't work before whereas a normal video game would, would have had that group of friends get together and through the power of friendship they defeat the big bad monster in this game they didn't go things didn't go so very well and you're dealing with the after effects over there
0: <laughs> yeah no you're you're absolutely right josh i think all of the the main character development in this game all comes out of these memories so you know, Clint, if you didn't see a lot of these, I totally get why you wouldn't have felt much in terms of character development, because, you know, it's basically what's on the page for everyone else. But these memories really flesh out what all the champions were like. And spoiler alert, they're all varying degrees of vain and overconfident. Um, and that, as Josh said, is why this really didn't succeed, you know, through... Uh, all being dead, and you rescuing them all after being dead yourself. Apparently everyone learned a bit of humility, learned how to work together as a team, and that's how you finally end up defeating Calamity Ganon, uh, or at least in the most easy path, that's how you do it.
2: Yeah, maybe that's a little overstatement about the lessons learned by everyone. Um, I mean, the bird guy... <laughs> I'm reading a little bit
0: into that, yeah. bird guy right. was <laughs> definitely
2: a bit of a tool when you first meet him.
0: And, and he's still a tool. He's still a tool,
2: Sure. Sure, sure. But um, when you find the memories, you don't find them in order. And you're really kind of piecing together what happened beforehand, both between the memories you're seeing of the catastrophe and the environment you're seeing around you. Ruins of villages everywhere. There used to be something here, and now there's not because of this calamity.
0: The coolest thing I think this... Uh, these flashbacks did in terms of character development was they actually probably characterized princess zelda more than any other character and also characterized her far more than any other zelda game has in the past which i think was a nice switch and also pretty darn cool
1: yeah because previously she was just the helpless damsel stuck in the castle you spend the whole time getting to her when you get to her the end game over You, you know the game's named after and you never see her pretty much
0: yeah that's that's been kind of an unfortunate series trope and this turns it a bit on its head but to be perfectly honest they should have just taken it a little bit further and let you either play as her for sections or hell for just the game like i don't know link died lean into it let her do this shit now
2: (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe i disagree with you a little bit i feel like wind waker had the most active zelda Mm. if you will
0: that's a good point because she was
2: like a pirate badass at that time
0: yeah, you really like felt her despair in these memories of like not being able to fulfill her uh, duty as you know, receiving the the goddess's wisdom or the Triforce or whatever, and trying to seek out another way to solve this problem and leaning into this uh, Sheikah technology, which eventually led to their downfall. It's an interesting story.
2: No, I think they did a good job with the past story. Zelda's like a scientist trying to research ways to do this and. The things she's trying to figure out while she's frustrated with her inability to use the powers she eventually needs to use, uh, she tries to science it out, and those that science turns on her when Ganon turns it against her. I thought that was a good bit of storytelling.
0: As well as the story was told, one thing I will say is this game did not have great shakes in terms of voice acting.
2: I think so, and not just the voice acting. But I also feel like the ending fight versus Ganon, when you're going through the castle, the whole approach the castle, sneak in, fight your way in, whatever, that was very well done. But the actual boss fight at the end wasn't entirely thrilled with it. um,
0: I agree. It was a glorified cutscene, really.
2: See, I feel like this game tried to be all Ocarina of Time with the ending boss fight, and they did things that didn't make sense because of it. They were almost trapped by the ghost of the series past
0: I agree with that and they they basically kind of forgot what made this game special. They didn't do anything with any of the rune powers. Uh, they didn't do anything with the physics or chemistry system really to speak of like it pretty much was just a stock standard do damage to this big hulking creature until it's dead
2: They wanted the horse stuff to be bigger than it was. I never felt like the horse combat in this game was better than Twilight Princess, let's say. That was my high point for horse combat. You're on a horse, and it gets you to places a little faster. You can do some archery, sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you, you mean you weren't endeared by the bond you film, you're formed with your horse in this game?
2: <laughs> Not really. No.
1: And that's the hard part about making a game like this. So when you make an open world game and you make it in a way that you can do things in any order, you really give up some of the soul that you can create when you're creating a a bespoke, like, this is your experience and we know you're going to do it in this order and we're going to have this high point here and this emotional dive here. And they know that they can control all that so they can make something awesome. This, you could literally do anything in any order and they don't know how it's going to turn out. And you can't have those special moments like that nearly as much.
2: Compare this game to Red Dead Redemption or maybe the sequel. I haven't played that. But in terms of plotline pacing, this game did not have pacing, which was what they were kind of leaning in towards. But it doesn't mean it was as effective as what Red Dead did.
1: Dude, this is a 1% and that is a 200%. That game is going to be the standard to hold every other open world game in from now on cuz everybody used that excuse before like it's hard to do this and have an open world game and they're like oh really well we made the best story and an open world game deal with it <laughs> mic drop boom <laughs>
2: <laughs> i've only played the first red dead i'm looking forward
1: to when i can try the second oh it's nothing it's not even it's night and day
0: yeah i've uh, i've i'm i'm very slightly into red dead 2 right now and I have to say it's pretty damn impressive, but, um, the, you know, these games have different strengths to me and I go to Zelda for what's over that next mountain. And I go to red dead for what's going to happen with these crazy characters next. Like it's, it's really depend, it depends on how I feel is, you know, what I want in a given moment, if I'm going between these two games and clearly they like leaned into opposite ends of the spectrum.
2: Yeah, Rockstar's always been more character development with their games. That's always been one of their they
0: wanted They want to direct movies, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and they should. I would watch them all. Yeah, I agree. I agree.
2: Well, let's go a little bit on towards uh, discussion, you know, talk about some of the big um, themes inside this game. Big thing for this game was the post-post-apocalyptic, as Brian said. You know, it's not just like, fallout where you have your post-apocalyptic you're living with the immediate aftermath this is farther along the time scale like oh you know like there is this apocalypse but you I mean think about this like uh this would be as far away for us now as world war one is for us you know like a hundred years ago if the world ended a hundred years ago then we're still we still keep going you know
0: right and there's characters in this universe that lived through that still because fantasy and people live longer than normal but um you're right josh this is it's weirdly removed from the tragedy that was this gigantic massacre the world is verdant and peaceful it sort of belies the game's insistence on that it's on the verge of destruction like everything could come toppling down and calamity ganon can ravage the countryside at every minute like Life seems kind of good, aside from the giant beasts screwing stuff up for the four major settlements.
2: And that's an interesting thing, because the divine beasts have recently, like, come back online, and they've started moving around and disrupting things. And this is, like, a big change. This is bigger to the people than a hundred years ago when civilization ended, because, you know, a hundred years ago, psh, who remembers that? Uh <laughs> So it is more relatively peaceful. I thought this was actually a bit of a um a good way to subvert the normal trope of you like in Dragon Age like oh there's this impending apocalypse about to happen and that's all cool but I'm going to go and collect five lizard tails in the forest cuz I'm going to get some gold for doing that. Like the other games you don't really have an excuse to go on a side quest when humanity's about to be become extinct and this game it's like the apocalypse happened it was 100 years ago we're still you know just getting along and yeah go collect those uh lizard tails in the forest sure whatever yeah
0: i i feel like every like couple hours zelda should have just been like jabbing you in the in the shoulder saying like link come on i'm holding ganon here you gotta hurry up and or something gets visibly worse right (laughs) yeah the world is like it, it really does, like, it, there's no sense of urgency here. The game really wants you to just sort of, like, meander about. It right? wants
2: you to see it all. Which, I can tell you from a game developer perspective, when you create content that players might not see is always one of the worries that, why should I bother spending another 200 hours creating this content when most of the people won't even see it?
0: Fair but they probably also said that about the 152 shrines that they created. And, uh, <laughs> You'll always
2: have your completionists.
0: I would have rather yeah. not seen that, but we all did. So. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, though, because like, we talk about how nice this world is. Like, Most of the settlements that are out there now are pretty well in harmony with the world and with nature. And um, I touched on this a little bit at the top, but this is basically just like a quest to restore the monarchy, right? I mean, there's nothing in the text that says that. But like, that's what you're doing, right?
2: I never realized Link was such a reactionary element right there. Mm -hmm.
0: (laughs) Seriously, though, I think this game could have benefited a lot for giving you a choice at the end, like a Dark Souls-esque question. Like, should this cycle be continued or should we just say, you know what, Zelda, you're done here. We're just going to, I'm going to take over from here. We're going to let things keep going.
1: (laughs) Yeah, things keep going to shit. You keep getting caught by Ganon. I'm going to do this now.
2: Well, that's the the Zelda mythos. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard this before, but apparently all Zelda's last, they're like on a continuous timeline. There's three different branches.
0: Supposedly. Based
2: off of the Ocarina of Time. So this falls somewhere in there. I haven't paid attention to that since I heard the theory, but
0: I like it. What I'm saying here is like, they, they disrupted so many of the series tropes in this game. Why not just disrupt one more and say like, do you want to continue renewing the cycle where we save the royal family and Ganon comes back in a thousand years and fucks it all up again? Or do we want to say, like, no, cycle's over this time. I'm going to maybe kill Ganon, remove this threat, let things continue on, and maybe the Hyrule royal family just sort of fucks off.
2: Yeah, but what happens when you choose that and then they release another Zelda game in ten years? Your entire oh, no. choice I told is you, that's the hot
1: dog eating contest and it won't even matter anymore. <laughs> Just watch, I'm telling you. E3 this year,
0: it's gonna happen.
2: All right, all right, but going on.
0: I'm late, I have one more thing to say. Go ahead. Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Hot Dog. Forward <laughs> review. A, that's some right hot breath there. right there. <laughs> anyway, Josh, continue. Yeah. So you're in this
2: world, and one of the things you notice is you come across a lot of ruins, but there's some places that aren't ruined that seem to be recovering. You're coming across these villages and whatnot. I will tell you one of the things I liked about this game was how the relative emptiness of it fed into it seeming more real to me. I can tell you there's been a lot of games, Skyrim is a great example because we've all played that pretty recently here. But in Skyrim you come into a city and there's like 35 buildings in the city and there's maybe 50 people living in the city, and it feels like that's not really enough to be a city for me. We don't have the technology at this point to simulate the entire lives of, I don't know, 40,000 people inside a city over here and come up with interesting things for all of them. But what good games do when they're confront when they confronted with technological limitations is they work within those. Uh, you guys have both played Morrowind before, right? Yeah, A lot of what happened with the sort of more alien architecture and the alien flora and fauna with that game, it wasn't because they were super creative, it was because they were super constrained. They couldn't make a tree in that game, so they said, well, we're going to make gigantic mushrooms because our polygon counts can support that sort of thing.
0: And let's just say, brilliant. I, loved, I love when developers do this and do it elegantly. It just makes me like... It's one of those things that when I finally understand it, it like clicks into place and I'm like, oh, these guys are smart.
2: No, like Morrowind did that fantastically. I think that was the most unique of the three Elder Scrolls that I've played, 3, 4, and 5, out of all of those. Uh, and the most memorable because of the kind of alien environment that they had, that was made because of the technological constraints they have. And comparing Skyrim to this game again, like this game, Skyrim tried to say this is a huge city, but the city you actually can see is not that big. And this game said, well, we're in a post-apocalyptic world, and this is the biggest village you'll ever ever see, but it's a village. And it's an appropriate-sized village. I didn't have to suspend disbelief to say... This is a city here. No, this is just supposed to be a village in a ruined world already.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Um, Well, speaking of uh, things that were, uh, you know, fit to the task at hand, I think the music in this game, while very sparse, um, kind of fit. Because, you know, you can play for minutes at a time without hearing more than a few piano notes in this game. And while there's certain spots that have, you know, orchestrated themes, things that go along with them, I feel like overall the game's music fit it fairly well in that if you kept hearing things over and over again on such a vast overworld they would quickly get bland you know this became a podcast game for me pretty quick you know play a podcast in the background while you play it and i loved it i thought that was perfectly fine
2: i think the lack of the musical background of music worked really well for the game and that it was about exploration it was about seeing new things and if you heard the same five minutes of music looped and repeat the entire time, that would be a thing. That would
0: That'd get in the way nuts. of that.
2: Not drive you nuts, but kind of break the immersion of it. It's less that you're exploring and you're climbing a new thing. It's more like you're doing the same thing you've been doing.
0: It's a dynamic, it's a dynamic score, not in the Banjo-Kazooie sense, but in the like setting the mood as its appropriate sense. Also, it
2: being a ruined world, you not having the same amount of music that you might expect otherwise fits in with it.
1: Yeah, it's simple and understated, for sure.
2: It works well. Do we think we're ready for some three-word reviews?
0: Let's hit it. Three-word review time.
2: All right, Brian, what you got?
0: All right, uh, my three-word review for this game is One More Mountain. I've played many hours of this game. After finishing all of the shrines, after unlocking all of the various hours that you can get, including the DLC motorcycle, which is awesome.
2: That was a motorcycle?
0: Oh yeah. Oh man. Um, Basically, all that was left was, alright, where have I gone on the hero's path? What's what's still left unexplored? And, you know, there's this one more mountain over here. So every time I run out of things to do, I put a little marker on my map. One more mountain, then I'll put this game down. And, you know, 50 plus hours later, I've not quite gotten there yet. So... I'll probably be picking this game up in a couple weeks when I just need a cool world to hang out in. And that's why my three-word view is One More Mountain.
2: Right, my three-word review is Broken Down Walls. And there's two senses of the word here. The first is in the terms that the game design decided to go. We have a very nonlinear path. After that tutorial, you can go anywhere in the world. There are no walls. They've all been broken down for you. The second sense of the term is in terms of the... Um, the environment. is a post-apocalyptic world. There's a lot of ruins around. A lot of walls that were there have been broken down already. All right, Clint, what you got?
1: I got big, beautiful, and bland. Whew. Uh, rough, I know. Sorry. So, for me, this game really traded some of the heart and soul from the previous Zelda games, and... They made an amazing sandbox that I cannot believe they were able to put together on Switch hardware. Like the accomplishment here is crazy, but what we lost in lieu of that was just too much for me. Like I love Zelda. It's one of my favorite series ever and this just didn't feel like Zelda to me. And that I bought a Switch for this game and I was really disappointed by it. It's it's one of those things you like almost can't put your finger on, but you like know it when you see it and there's a very Zelda touch that just wasn't here. It felt like they were trying to copy a lot of the other, you know, open world post-apocalyptic games, and it just, that's not Zelda, man. That's just not it. Did you feel this game wasn't
2: populated enough for you, that you didn't run into enough people here and there?
1: Absolutely, and actually me and Brian were talking about this earlier. There's some, a little bit of magic too, like when you go into the Hyrule Market in Ocarina of Time, and everybody's zipping around, and there's dogs running around, and there's people everywhere, and it feels like it's full of life, and I get that that's... The story that they chose, that wouldn't be a thing here. But again, they chose it because of hardware constraints. And that works like it worked in Morrowind when you weren't thinking about it. But it's so painfully obvious that that's why they did it in, in here, that it just breaks that that broke that wall down. That fourth wall broke. And, <laughs> and and I can see right
0: past the curtain. And it, it just I don't know, it, it just it didn't have the magic for me. I hear you, and I agree. This game made some harsh trade-offs for longtime fans of the series. And you know, we don't normally have this much discussion about a three-word review, but we have a opinion that differs from the rest of us. So we got to lean into this and have a discussion. Well, yeah, because if um, you looked but... on the internet, uh,
1: <laughs> literally one million people gave it a ten out of ten, and I'm just sitting here going, "Am I an idiot? <laughs> what? What? What am I not seeing that they're seeing? This is not a. This is not a ten out of ten game. I would have given this a solid." For the accomplishment, an 8 or a 9. For the game,
0: a 5 or a 6. Like, this just wasn't for me. And, you know, I think that's fair. It depends on what you value in the series, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, I would make the argument that the music in this game, like, didn't live up to the legacy, in my opinion. You know, Zelda tunes are that. They're Iconic. They they're yeah. are things that you remember, and there's nothing in this game that I could hum to you back save a couple tunes which you know i will make sure i end on at least one of them it's just it's a different feel they went for in this game and while it succeeded for a lot of people fans of the the series that maybe were eager for some change those that went back to this series for you know comfort food for lack of a better word uh could be a little disappointed and that's just how it's going to be i guess so uh the legend of Zelda: breath of the wild uh, obviously a very good, if controversial, game for uh, us here at Pixelated Playgrounds. Let's think ahead to next month's game, Celeste, the Canadian platformer that puts rock-hard difficulty and a heartwarming story on full display. This game won a lot of folks over in 2018, myself included, and I'm excited to talk through what makes this such a great story-driven platformer. So, for all of us at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki.
1: And I'm Clint Jones.
0: Take care, and keep on gaming. We'll
1: By the way, before I came over here, I was having dinner with my neighbors because my wife's out of town and they adopted me for the evening and they have two kids that were playing Switch and they heard that I was going to do a podcast about Zelda and they're like, holy shit. They didn't say holy shit Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, because they're 10, but they said, oh my God, uh, we're playing that. We don't know how to beat this Lionel thing and get his and get his lightning arrows can you show us how to do it? And I'm like, hell yeah, man. I just did this. So we sat down before I came over here to do my podcast, and I helped a 10-year-old beat Zelda. Nice. So that was kind of fun.
0: Wow. This is like every kid who called the Nintendo Hotline's dream. It's yeah, like wonder that's <laughs> I, gonna me. I am Nintendo Power, <laughs>
1: fools. Dad, <laughs> yeah,
2: who had a subscription back in the oh, day? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: Hell yeah. When I got grounded, my mom took those away, so... That was punishment in my house. I gotcha. So basically, I'm being the cool neighbor I always wish I had when I grew up.